Today on the Church Next podcast, learn about the sacred nature of water, the alarm bells going off regarding its use, and the steps people of faith and their congregations can take to help. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Church Next podcast. My name is Elizabeth Brignac. I'll be your host today. Today, we're going to be talking about water and justice. If the wars of yesteryear were fought over oil, then the wars of the future will be fought over water. That is an argument Fletcher Harper has made. He is the executive director of Green Faith, which is an interfaith environmental group that has made the stewardship of water a core focus of its work. Fletcher will discuss the interplay between climate change, the stewardship of water, and the practice of Christian faith. Our podcasts are curated from our online learning library at churchnext.tv. You can learn more about us there, and if you'd like to support us, please consider a $9 monthly subscription. That will give you access to all of our individual online classes. Your generosity helps us produce digital experiences that help shape disciples. As part of every baptism in the Episcopal Church, the priest or bishop who performs the baptism thanks God for the gift of water with the following prayer. We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. I love that prayer. I think it's beautiful. Baptism in water, which we associate with healing, cleansing, and salvation, is part of every Christian denomination. Christians are not alone in our reverence for water. The Hindu tradition holds rivers as sacred, particularly the Ganges, in which Hindus immerse themselves for prayer rituals. We just had Diwali, which involves ritual bathing. Islam requires the faithful to perform ablutions before they enter mosques and at other times as well. And Judaism has ritual ablutions, some of which are performed in a mikvah, a ritual bath. Most religious traditions, in short, include water as part of their sacred rituals and treat it with reverence. Water is a basic requirement for life. Humans can live weeks without food, but only days without water. We connect water with healing, with power, with cleansing. It's really no wonder that faith traditions incorporated into their most fundamental sacred rituals. The Bible tells Christians that water is a great gift from God, and the Bible reveres it as a human necessity and as a holy symbol repeatedly throughout the Old and New Testaments. In Genesis 1, we are told that water was part of creation before anything else. In the beginning, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while the wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Water appears in the Bible as an element of power in the great flood and as a basic human need when the Nile turns to blood during the plagues in Exodus. It is associated with spiritual healing and God's mercy in the Psalms. Look at Psalm 41, for example. In the New Testament, Jesus is baptized in water, heals with water, offers living water. Repeatedly, the Bible connects water to the sacred power of God. Today, Fletcher Harper discusses how Christians should bring our religious traditions reverence for water into our communities. 
He discusses the reasons that maintaining access to clean water has become increasingly difficult, particularly for our most vulnerable people. He also identifies climate change as an important means by which humanity today has done terrible damage through water-related effects that we experience, droughts, flooding, tsunamis. Most importantly, he discusses the Christian responsibility to conserve water and mitigate the effects of climate change. In his first talk, Fletcher discusses the effects of industrial pollution on community water supplies, particularly in the most vulnerable communities, and he also explains the effects that climate change is having on water-related weather events. He describes the responsibility of faith communities to help inspire, educate, and mobilize people into keeping water safe and clean for all. What you see across the world's rainbow collection of faith traditions is that water is central. It's about cleansing. It's about healing. Um, it's about an emblem of the power of the sacred. Um, it's about life. And whether it's in Hinduism or Buddhism or Judaism, Christianity, Islam, there are rituals, teachings, stories about water that are, that are absolutely central. Um, and these are the themes that show up over and over again. The threats to the world's water are, are dangerous for all of us, but when it comes to things like lack of access to safe and clean drinking water or the pollution of those sources of drinking water, it, it's obviously the poor who are most vulnerable and those communities that are discriminated against economically and culturally and politically that are the most vulnerable. We saw that in, in Flint, Michigan, here in the United States. Uh, you know, 18, 20 months ago with the horrible, unexcusable crisis that happened there. When it comes to rising sea levels, we know that, again, it's the most vulnerable communities, the frontline communities that are, that are at greatest risk. And, and they also have the, uh, the fewest resources to be able to protect themselves. And so that's why it's an issue of justice. And the, you know, the third thing is that they've done the least to contribute to the problem. I mean, these problems are, are, are caused in various ways by different forms of overconsumption of resources or misuse of resources. And where that happens at the truly harmful scale are in the rich countries in the world and the biggest industrial complexes in the world, not in the poorest communities of the world. You know, ironically, climate change is an issue about the atmosphere and about energy, but the way that people feel climate change in many cases is through water-related impacts. We know that climate change is responsible for more droughts. That's a water-related impact. We know that climate change, ironically and paradoxically, is also responsible for more flooding because you've got more intense downpours. That's a water-related impact. I mean, talk about a hammer. Think about 30 inches of rain in a week. I mean, that's a, that's a horrific kind of hammer to, to get hammered with. Um, when it comes to rising sea levels, again, that's another way in which um, climate change's impacts get, get communicated, get expressed, get inflicted through water. And so while it's an issue about energy in the atmosphere, it, it gets felt through water-related impacts. The, the World Bank president has said that while the wars of the past century have in many places been fought over oil, that future wars are going to be about water. And you know, I think that there's an unarguable truth to that. Imagine, try to survive without water for a day. 
I mean, we can get by without electric power for a day. It may be inconvenient, but you can't get by without water for a day. And so when you think about growing levels of stress on water supplies around the world, um, you can only imagine the kind of political and ultimately military tension that that's going to evoke. I mean, it's, it's unarguable that this is a big, big threat that people need to pay attention to. So the, the challenges that we face related to water look different in different places around the world. Ultimately, they're all related, but they manifest differently. So to a community in China, for example, that's had its fresh water supply poisoned by industrial activity, um, that's one face of, of the water crises that we're facing. To low-lying communities, coastal communities in Bangladesh that regularly experience catastrophic levels of flooding due to sea level rise and storm activity, that's, a, that's another face of the crises that plague us related to water. Um, floods and droughts are two other faces of this. I mean, we've all heard about the, the droughts that have struck California, the threats to agriculture there, and imagine that same kind of stress for small, small farmers in developing countries where they don't have the kind of societal wealth and resources to help people adapt to, to meet those challenges. Uh, you know, flooding. I mean, we heard this past summer, and we hear regularly now with a tragic regularity about the um, about the increased flooding, again, a product of climate change that, that happens because of more severe weather events. Um, all of these things are, are related. They're all about the way in which we need to heal and mend our relationship with God's creation, with the water of life. In his next talk, Fletcher discusses reverence for the earth, that sense we feel in our hearts as well as in our minds. He asks us to listen to this sense, this inner voice that tells us to love and respect God's creation instead of to the voices that tell us to tune it out. The magnitude of the environmental crises can seem so great that because of their magnitude, we do tune them out. And Fletcher explains why we shouldn't do that. received a gift. We've been given a gift, and the gift is life on this incredible, beautiful planet that is sustained by water that is uh, magical in its beauty, in its life-sustaining power, um, in the way in which it feels, the way in which it sounds. I mean, there's this incredible gift, and by starting there, we gain a sense of, of awe and of wonder and of appreciation, and, and we realize that we've got some skin in the game also, that, that we want to protect this incredible resource. We share one planet. You know, we're, we're diverse faiths. I mean, there are differences between our faiths. We don't take a lowest common denominator kind of approach. There are differences, but we share one planet. And there are profound points of connection between the world's faiths in relationship to their view on the environment. None of them says, well, the point of being human is to use up as many resources as you can and to waste a lot of them and then just to be happy with that. I mean, that's not a religious approach to this stuff. We, we see religions calling us to respect 
this gift that we've been given, to take up our responsibility for it, to wake up to the crisis and the challenge that faces us, and to work together to do that. I've learned from our Muslim colleagues. I've, I've learned a lot about what it means to be respectful of God and of water. When I watch my Muslim brothers and sisters who take care washing their hands and their faces before they pray and they're using water carefully and respectfully, that's a sacred act. Um, when I watch my Hindu colleagues um, and their incredible commitment to vegetarianism and to not eating meat because it causes suffering to another sentient being and because it um, represents an environmental degradation on a level that's really unsustainable. I, I learn from the richness of that culture. And you learn from these other faiths by, you know, it's, it's not just a, an intellectual thing. You learn by watching the richness of their cultures around these practices and, and seeing the beauty of those practices. Much like I've had them say to me that when they say, see Christians sort of receiving the, the, the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus, that there's something holy that they experience seeing that. So we need each other with this work. These challenges that we're talking about, these threats, uh, you know, climate change, rising sea levels, the droughts and floods, all of that, that mean the, the, the level of damage and of harm that is being caused and that's going to be caused is, is genuinely massive. It's so easy to sort of tune out in the face of that, but this is a sort of existential moment for us. And, and we must for the sake of our own humanity, um, stay awake and, and look at this stuff. Um, because if we don't, what that, what that represents is a, an unwillingness to be human in the face of a, a tremendous crisis. Um, and we can't afford to, to take that path. I find, you know, with all of this intensity, I mean, you, know, you can't talk about these issues without there being sort of urgency as the regular flavor of the day. I find that it's incredibly helpful to pray on a regular basis, um, to be reminded that, that this is a, a matter of love, um, that we are loved and that we are called to, to love others. Um, I find that it's incredibly useful just to look out the window, um, to appreciate over and over again the, the beauty of the sky, of the clouds, um, the gift of life. I mean, it's, it's very basic stuff, um, but I find that returning to that source on a regular basis is really, really helpful. In Luke 10, we read about Mary and Martha, Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him, and Martha who became exasperated that she was doing all the work. Martha asks for Jesus' opinion on Mary's unwillingness to help, and Jesus gently reminds Martha that for those who follow Jesus, listening and contemplating God's word is our best course of action. We should not lose sight of prayer and contemplation in our endeavors in the world. So, in this next talk, Fletcher discusses how people who want to protect the environment are tempted often to become Martha, fighting the good fight in anger and despair, rather than in love and hope. Contemplation and prayer give us the strength and our arguments the substance that we need if we want to enact real change. Mm -hmm.
and our, our faith traditions have resources that are unique when it comes to addressing these issues. First of all, we have this shared commitment to gratitude. And that's really vital. I mean, we live in a, on a global scale in a politically polarized and polarizing time. There are very few voices that are saying, look, we've got something that is an enormous gift that we need to watch out for. Um, faith communities have the gift of believing that love can multiply the blessings that are available. Um, politics and economics too often get very quickly into a zero-sum gutter. And faith communities have this irrational but tremendously important belief that goodwill and respect and dignity and, and love and kindness can generate more than we had previously. Um, these, these kinds of tools are, are, and these kinds of commitments are important. And finally, faith communities have a commitment to justice. You know, we're, we're willing, gladly, to go that extra mile for the sake of those in need. We're, we're unwilling to see people left behind. And that's incredibly important when you get into these technocratic kind of negotiations that are about cost-benefit analyses. That, that's, that's not the language that faith communities use. Being able to have a chance to talk in a small group about these issues is, is tremendous. It, it gives people a sense of being part of a team, of being part of a community, that it's, it's not just them that, that cares about these concerns. Then the real test comes about are we willing to, to walk the talk? Are we willing to make a change in the way that we live? Are we willing to talk to our friends and neighbors? Are we willing to speak out publicly? Uh, I think C.S. Lewis wrote that courage is uh, not a virtue in and of itself. It's the shape of every virtue at the point of its testing. And I think that's a, a good thing to keep in mind. I mean, it's, it's good that we talk in these groups, and it's vital that we take what we experience in these groups out into the world. The world needs this. God needs this. People need this. Another thing that faith communities offer, which I think is just critical, is that we have this pattern of, of action and reflection and action and reflection and an understanding that, that you can't do one and not do the other. You know, if all you do is, is the reflection piece, you know, does it have some value? Sure. But it's, it's it, you know, it, it, it deprives, I mean, what does the gospel say? Don't hide your light under a bushel, you know? But if all you're out doing is, is, is acting, demonstrating, advocating, speaking out publicly, agitating, I mean, again, all of those things are, are vital. But there comes a point at which they become shrill and motivated by exhaustion or despair or anger. And, and that's not enough. That's not good. So faith communities have this act and reflect, act and reflect, reflect and act dynamic. And I think that's a tremendously important thing. What, what we see around the world is that there are people in every congregation who care about these issues. And we think that it's vital that people find each other, get together. Um, at the same time that there are people in each congregation that care, it's often not quite enough people to make a going concern about it on their own, and that's why we need each other. 
So we've, we've started uh, what we call Green Faith Circles as a way of giving a local place where people can come together who care about these issues, people from four or five or six or ten congregations in a given area. And they can come together, they support each other, they figure out how to get their own congregations more activated, and they can take joint action themselves. So coming together is, is a really critical piece of the picture with this. We cannot solve these issues alone. UN World Food Program, one in three people worldwide suffer from malnutrition. That number is so huge that it's hard to fathom. 2.3 billion people with a nutritional deficit serious enough to affect their health. Yet Christian organizations like Catholic Relief Services never cease trying to feed hungry people. So why, when faced with the magnitude of the challenges we face in trying to protect water and reduce the effects of climate change, do we have this temptation to turn off in despair? Fletcher finishes his talk today with a discussion of finding the strongest experience of faith in the vastness, majesty, and power of the created world. He describes ways in which faith communities thrive by wrestling with difficult issues such as homelessness, hunger. He suggests that a big issue like climate change, far from being something we shouldn't try to tackle, is right in our wheelhouse. From a very early age, and I think this is something that a lot of people share, uh, my strongest experiences of God happened outdoors. Um, I remember very clearly we were fortunate enough when I was young to take family vacations by the ocean. And as a child, to stand there and to see the waves coming in, to hear them 24 hours a day, to get the sense of vastness and of majesty and of power and, and of fear. I mean, there's an imposing dimension to it, but it's through those kinds of experiences I developed both an appreciation for God and a love of God's creation. And that's really the foundation of the work that I've done. I, for me, this is central to my calling. Uh, you know, as a priest, as a person of faith, um, it's my job to represent God in the world as the best as I can. And to do that, I have to feel connected to God. And the strongest point of connection for me uh, comes from the outdoors. It comes also from Scripture. It comes from being part of a, a faith community. It's not that those aren't important, but there's a, there's a rawness. Um, there's a beauty. There's an awesomeness. There's a power to that direct experience of God outdoors that I think is, is hard to beat. My faith teaches me that water, um, first and foremost, is a, a God-given gift, um, that it sustains life and that it is because of God's generosity that it does so. And so that engenders gratitude and respect, and that's the source of stewardship or the secular term for that sustainability. Um, my faith teaches me that uh, water is an emblem of the power and magnificence of God, that when I look out at the ocean and I'm blown away because of how massive and, and huge it is, that that's just a sort of inkling of a sense of how, how massive God is. 
um, and how majestic God is. Um, when uh, my faith teaches me that God created all people and all life with an inherent dignity, and so when we see people who don't have enough to drink, um, whose drinking water has been poisoned um, or polluted, that, that that's, that's wrong. That's an offense against those people, and it's an offense against God. These are some of the foundations for me of what my Christian faith teaches me. It, it's, it's very easy and to some degree understandable that people feel despair about the magnitude of these threats, and they throw up their hands and they say, you know, what can we do? You know, I've got two responses to that. First of all, that's, you know, faith communities are really good at wrestling with very difficult-to-solve problems. I mean, we look at hunger, and that's a tough one, but you don't see churches saying, oh, my God, we're never going to do anything about hunger. We can't. I mean, that's just not faithful. I mean, we, we love big problems. That's, our, that's in our sweet spot. So, I mean, I think that's one piece is we've got to embrace that. And then a second piece is that there are answers. You know, there are between new technologies and new you know, findings from social science about how people can be encouraged to lessen their water use, about new ways of using land and, you know, safer chemicals. And, you know, I mean, there are a host of different kinds of technologies and policies and practices that, that are out there and that are proven. And, and what's needed is to mainstream those. We need to take them to scale. And so I think, you know, there's a, I think it's an Irish saying about is this a private fight or can anybody get involved? And, you know, this is, we've got to jump in. We've got to solve this problem because kidding aside, you know, lives hang in the balance and we can do this. Fletcher's talk for the day. If you'd like to learn more about his approach to creation care, visit greenfaith.org. You can also check out his book, Green Faith, Mobilizing God's People to Save the Earth. You might also be interested in a Church Next course and podcast on a similar topic and a Church Next curriculum on a similar topic. Try the course, Holy Grounds, The Surprising Connections Between Coffee and Faith with Tim Schenk. That's available as a podcast and also as a course. And it talks about the environmental impacts of coffee farming as part of a sort of reverence for the experience of coffee and the gift of coffee. You could also try our curriculum, A Spring in the Desert, which is a Linton curriculum we made a couple of years ago that is very reverent of water as a symbol. It talks a lot about water as a source of life in the desert. And you might find it interesting. Keep an eye out for some upcoming Church Next courses as well. We are currently building our creation care offerings. We have several courses related to that theme on the horizon. That's the end of today's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about us, again, please go to churchnext.tv and we'll close with a prayer for creation care. Heavenly Father, source of living water. Proverbs 25 verse 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Please convince our hearts to help children, families, communities, and even our enemies to receive clean, accessible drinking water. Every time we turn on the tap, open a bottle of water, or see a waterfall, remind us of your call to serve those in need. Give us wisdom and reverence to use the resources of nature so that no one may suffer from our abuse of them. 
and that generations yet to come may continue to praise you for your bounty. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.